a neurodiverse relationship? Well, I've been in one for 30 years. I'm Lilo Bupert, and this is Touching the Tism, a podcast for anyone living with a partner on the spectrum. I've got tips, techniques, and lots of funny stories that will help you navigate and understand the sometimes confounding behaviors of your neurodiverse mate. Listen in and find out what Touching the Tism is all about. Hi, welcome back to episode two of Touching the Tism. Title of this podcast is An Apple is Not a Pear, or Things I Wish We'd Known Early on Our Relationship. Happy New Year, everyone. I'm here with my husband, Bill. Happy New Year. And we are hoping that we can give you some tips and techniques on how to work through some difficulties in your neurodiverse relationship. In my Maiden podcast, I talked a lot about how Bill and I met and a brief overview of who we are. Both Bill and I are recovering from strep throat that we got enjoying our family this Christmas. So if we sound a bit like frogs today, you'll know why. Or three packs of cigarettes a day. Yeah, we're not doing that. So through the development of my series of podcasts, I've put in a lot of thought on the order of which the topics that I have to talk about should be discussed. It's easiest and the most linear for me to do these podcasts chronologically. My entire goal for doing podcasts on touching the tism is to help anyone in a neurodiverse relationship avoid the pitfalls and mishaps that Bill and I have experienced in our over 30-year relationship. As always, I hope you find these stories interesting and helpful. And if you'd like me to cover something that is perplexing you in your relationship, feel free to write to me at marriedtotheiceman at gmail.com or visit my blog at marriedtotheiceman.com. And if I'm able to help you, I will cover it in one of my podcasts. Warning to you. Uh, do not Google Married to the Iceman, or you'll find out everything you never wanted to know about some gangster. So just type in marriedtotheiceman.com in the URL box and you'll get to me that way. Okay, so getting right to it. Things I wished we'd known early on in our relationship. I'm going to start with discussing the elephant in the room, the coup d'etat. The biggie, diagnosis, number one and forever and always, amen, diagnosis. If we had known that Bill was on the spectrum 30 years ago, our entire life would have been completely and utterly different. But it wouldn't have been as interesting. Well, I suppose that's true. So one thing that's a little unique about our relationship and about Bill being on the spectrum is Bill was in the military from when he was 17 years old. And I think that had a large influence on the person that he came to be. It had a very large influence, I'm convinced, on his autism as well. Military training, as some people know, is very rigid. There's a lot of routine. And that was actually something that was really good for Bill. Because when you first met him, or when still to this day, when people meet him, many people have no idea that he is on the spectrum until they get to know him better. And then it 
becomes much more obvious per se. Honey, how do you think the military influenced your autistic, more autistic traits? Well, I think that I was able to take advantage of the fact that being autistic has certain advantages in the military, like our attraction to ritual, our attraction to, believe it or not, punctuality in my case, that kind of thing. I was able to use it almost as a superpower. And then I discovered later on in my career when I started to get into special operations units that my my being on the spectrum was almost tailor-made for me to succeed. Would you say that being in the military was something that helped you mask and mimic? Because we all know uh, that if you're a neurodiverse person, you want to be socially acceptable. You want friends. You want a girlfriend or wife or boyfriend or whatever. And you're often, shall I say, pretending to be neurotypical and learning about other neurotypical behaviors by observing. And maybe the military gave you a bit of an advantage in that department? Oh, I absolutely think so. But then again, it's also up to the individual mindset of somebody. You know, you have two choices here. You either seek to succeed or seek to fail. And I sought to succeed. So there were things. It took work, but I managed to do it. So when we first met, it, it it wasn't obvious that Bill was on the spectrum. There was some things that I found rather perplexing. One of the biggies would be that every time Bill hugged me, he gave me exactly two back pats. That, that's it. You didn't get the nice squeeze. You didn't get the lingering hug. You didn't get the passionate full body embrace. You got exactly two back pats. So I thought, huh, that's kind of different. So uh, that's probably when I first started thinking that maybe things were a little bit different. And another thing, and I just attributed this to the military, is that if Bill told you he was going to be there at 9.59, at 9.58, Bill was pulling up. Now, that was really great for us because I'm a punctual person and it made him extremely reliable. But later in the years, this became a little bit more irritating or annoying at times because if Bill says we're leaving the house at 9.58, he's in the car at 9.57, whether you're ready to go or not. So these, the rigidity became more apparent as the years went by and we started learning more of what was going on. But anyway, moving on. So there's something I want to talk about that I hope is very helpful to any neurodiverse couples. And that is you can't expect an apple to be a pear, right? I mean, it sounds really simple, But if you don't know you have an apple and you keep acting like you have a pear and you don't know why your apple is not acting like a pear, it can be very confusing for you both. And all men should have a pear. That is why. Anyway, that is why I encourage you greatly as a couple, if you feel like maybe things are a little different and you're not quite sure why, I encourage you to get a diagnosis because 
Diagnosis helps with expectations, and expectations are the engine of success in many things, not just your relationship, but in many things. And if we'd have known that Bill was on the spectrum early on in our relationship, it would have saved untold grief. I can't even begin to tell you. But also, please keep in mind that we're still relatively new at this, as we have only known for the last six years that Bill was neurodiverse. <clears throat> we went to many different counselors and psychologists and marriage counselors, therapists, read books, you know, all, all that stuff. The biggest tip I have for you is if you are going to reach out for professional help, at the very least to get a diagnosis, I greatly recommend finding an expert in neurodiverse relationships because we wasted, I can't even begin to tell you how much money and time on a variety of marriage counselors. Imagine 30 years ago being on the spectrum in a relationship. It really wasn't a thing. There wasn't a lot of information out there and we were seeking answers. Bill was kind enough to go with me sometimes under duress because it's not really his thing. And we reached out to a variety of different people for professional help with varying degrees of success. In fact, one time we were living up north and going to see a, what I thought, lovely counselor. And in one of our sessions, she actually said, hey, you know, if uh, you ever get tired of Bill, I'll be first in line. And I'm like, <laughs> great. Yeah. Needless to say, we didn't go back to her. Be still my beating heart. Oh, stop it. Anyway, so Bill, a question for you. Could you please tell us how it freed you and really us as well, once we both knew that you were on the spectrum? Well, for me, I've always known who I was, but what I didn't know was what it was. Now I could identify it, and now I could also identify it in a fashion where I could speak with neurotypical people for whom communication with me could be difficult. Oh, yeah, for sure. So when you were younger... And you didn't know that you were on the spectrum. How do you think that affected you? Like, let's let's just say in high school, for example, did you want to fit in and not fit in? Uh, how how did that impact you? Did not want to fit in. I was an outcast. I was uh, an other. I was not a cool guy. I mean, I I didn't even finish high school. I mean, I I'm a high school dropout. Went on to college later on, but. Fitting in never was a high priority for me. Why do you think that is? Why? Why? Mo I would think that most people would care if they quote unquote fit in. Why do you think you didn't? I can only speak for myself because there may be other autistic folk who think differently. But for me, the be all and end all for my identity was the interior space and the memory palace of what made Bill's psychological, moral, intellectual makeup, what it was. I mean, I, I lived in my own world in my head. I would say that that is still true uh, to a degree, that I pull Bill out of his world to join the neurotypical world all the time because he does have an entire life 
inside his own head, which also can make things really difficult in a, a relationship. But anyway, what else did you feel that the diagnosis contributed to the health of your marriage and the health of, in your relationships outside of your marriage? How did that impact you once you had that knowledge in your back pocket? I'm amused that you would ask me how I feel, but nonetheless, <laughs> I will suspend my disbelief. And I'm so glad that we found a means of communication in a common language where not only could I understand you better, but you could understand me better. Well, yeah. Well, once I knew that I had an apple <clears throat> and not a pear, that was probably the the game changer right there. Well, I've got a pear. Bell. So the little funny story on how I discovered the possibility even that Bill was was different. I knew there were a lot of things about Bill that were very different. I could give you endless lists of the things that made him very different in our day-to-day life. But I won't bore you with that right now. But anyway, I was watching television and a movie preview came on called Dear John. And the girl is upset, as Bill would say, she was leaking, you know, very badly. And John's just standing there with his hands loose down by his side, staring off into space, doing nothing. You could tell that he was distressed that it was leaking. He wanted to do something, but to say that he was completely at a loss of what to say or do would be the understatement of the century. So anyway, he's standing there with this completely blank look on his face, and she goes, well, now's the time that you would hug me, John. And I went, oh, my God, that's it. That's Bill. So I started studying and looking things up. I mean, what was this movie even about? And I looked it up and it was about an autistic person in a, you know, neurodiverse relationship. And I'm like, hmm, this is very interesting. And I always jokingly call Bill Mr. Spock, um, sometimes not so jokingly. And I found a fabulous book by Barbara Jacobs called Loving Mr. Spock. And that, for me, was the turnaround right there. This was previous before we had gone and sought professional help from a specialist in neurodiverse couples. And we had not gotten a diagnosis at this point. And I read that book and it was like, ding, that's Bill. Ding, that's Bill. Ding, that's Bill. And I would read entire passages of this book to Bill at the time going, honey, honey, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about what she says here? And that made a big difference for me because at the time, I just thought I had a pair. And I thought, frankly, that my pair was kind of an asshole, and I didn't realize that he was really an apple, and I was expecting him to be something completely different than what I had. Do you have a comment on that, dear? Spock had a human mother, and Spock is my spirit animal. Yes, although Spock dampens down the human part. Keep that in mind, and we're trying to raise that up a bit. Yeah, but how else would he pursue a logical life? I, I have no idea. Anyway, so one of the things that we found to be rather challenging and 
through other neurodiverse couples I've talked to and online support groups and that sort of thing, I've found that a lot of, especially if the partner is a male with autism, I've found that the woman in the relationship often expects their neurodiverse partner to come to them, constantly work on themselves to make them more quote unquote normal, make them less neurodiverse. And I want to encourage you, especially if your partner is the male neurodiverse in the partnership, I want to encourage you to try to think of ways that you can relate to them, go to them. I'm not saying you have to change yourself, but I'm saying that you have to find ways to connect with your partner. And once we had the diagnosis and I'd read many books and read many opinions on a lot of different websites and YouTube and everything I could think of, I was still focusing pretty heartily on how I could make Bill more neurotypical. Well, I got to tell you, that's not going to happen. Now, your neurodiverse partner can learn to do all kinds of fabulous and wonderful things within the parameters of their wiring. Like a dog doing tricks. Well, a little better than that, I think. But there's still going to be an apple, okay? You, you can't forget that. And they can't be the only people making efforts towards the meeting of the minds, the coming to the middle, so one thing that we work on, or I should say I work on constantly, is being extremely specific down to the most infinitesimal detail on what I might need. Like an example would be Christmas. We just had Christmas. And I think I talked about in my blog, making Christmas lists with sizes and colors. Is it romantic? No, it is not. But as the years go by, they might build confidence and venture out on their own and actually get you something that wasn't on your list. But if you say you have an emotional need or a physical need, if you can be very good at expressing exactly what that is, I'm here to tell you if your neurodiverse partner loves you, they are more than willing to do it. Now, this is a pre-practiced question, so I'm going to go ahead and ask this, and I know exactly what Bill is going to say, but early in our relationship, if I got upset, oftentimes when I was leaking, Bill got mad. To say to me that that was absolutely an inappropriate response would be the understatement of the century. So I talked to him when I was calm. And said, hey, honey, when I leak, I need for you to do this, this, and this. Step one, you know, hug hug the organism. You know, not not with two backpats either, okay? A real live hug. Hug the carbon-based organism. H hug the organism. Sit down with the organism and listen to what the organism has to say. Say soothing things like, it will be all right. I will help you. I love you, whatever that you could possibly think of. Another hug, no no two backpats. And, and when everything seems okay and the organism has stopped leaking, you can be dismissed, right? 
So it sounds kind of funny, you know, to some people who don't have to deal with this. A lot of neurotypical men might be like, what? Because it's instinctual for them to know what to do when the organism is leaking. Uh, Bill did not have that. So 30 plus years have gone by now. I think we're on 31. Mm -hmm. And um, I asked Bill the other day if when the organism is leaking... Is it second nature now for you to do know and do exactly what you're supposed to do? And he said, no, <laughs> it's a battle drill. Yeah. So that's something that you have to accept from your apple that even though you might go through all these steps of honey, when I am leaking, this is what you're supposed to do. And they know what to do and they do it. You have to accept that that is love, okay? That is love right there because they are doing something that is, even after 30 plus years in our relationship, is completely unnatural and yet he does it. I know it isn't natural and I'm okay with that because he is making the sacrifice to do things that are not within his wiring and he has worked, let's say, against his natural reaction, which is what is wrong with it? Why is it upset? You know, why is it leaking? I don't know what to do. Warning, Will Robinson, warning. And he has tried really hard to satisfy my emotional needs that way. And I have to be okay with that. Do you have anything you might want to add to that, Bill? You do have to be okay with that. And also when it comes to this bridge between neurotypicals and neurodiverse, the autism spectrum in particular is that you need to come to me and not only be specific, but try to indulge some of my needs. Like one thing Lilo is really good at is indulging my needs for reconnecting with my own company. I don't, Lilo's an energizer bunny. I am not. I only recharge in my own company. So she gives me the alone time that I need. If she did not give me the alone time that I need, I would perish. Yes, and that is that is something that for us as a couple, I'm I'm not even sure that's a neurodiverse issue. It's more of an introvert extrovert thing, but maybe especially pronounced because Bill is on the spectrum. That is really hard for me because I want company. I'm home alone in the house all the time, and when Bill's here, I want his attention. So that is where I have to give and work to give him the space that he needs so that he'll be more willing to go and do social events with me, which are totally unnatural for him as a person, and I have no idea if that has anything to do with being on the spectrum or not. But anyway, so for the last part of this episode, I'd like to give you some suggestions on what to do if your neurodiverse partner is adverse to reaching out for guidance through counseling. Because believe me, going to marriage counseling, I don't think is most uh, guys idea of a good time especially if you're in older generation, like our generation, younger people might be more interested in counseling or, or therapy or more open to it. But a lot of guys in particular, neurotypical guys are adverse to counseling. And a lot of neurodiverse guys are even more so. So what happens if your neurodiverse partner is like, yeah, forget it will not happen. There are things still that you can do. And the first that I would suggest is be an example. 
educate yourself all that you can about neurodiverse relationships. Read up on what it's like to be on the spectrum. Get on Facebook or Instagram or any other of those social platforms and join support groups and learn from other people who are in the same situation as you are because you can only control yourself, right? And you don't, you can't make them go, but you can work on yourself. Secondly, I would say reach out and get professional help for yourself. You would be surprised at how many tips you can get by just going to counseling yourself, even if it's marriage counseling for one, you will learn a lot about neurodiverse people and knowledge is power, people. You will learn a lot about yourself and them, and you can start to work within the parameters of their wiring. Third, I would suggest to you is expectations. Expectations are so important in a neurodiverse relationship. When we go to parties or we do things together where I know it's really not Bill's thing, or let's say I've got a friend who's particularly sensitive and Bill would come off as profoundly direct, I would say, oh, you know, Sally's going to be there or Linda or whatever. So would you please not discuss this topic at this party because I don't want to hurt her feelings. And he'll say something like, when's the party going to be over? And I never want to leave because I'm the extrovert, right? But I can say, okay, we're going to go to the party at six and we're going to leave at 10. Can you do that every time we go to a party? Um, yeah. Uh, so 10 one, right? Bill's ready to walk out the door because of the rigidity of routine and expectation. So make Not sure rigidity you're... relief. Uh, I see. Okay. So make sure that you are very clear uh, with your expectations and your, I guess, uh, directions on how you want things to go. Set things up for success in advance. Try not to lecture. Just say briefly and with kindness and love, this is how you feel about this event or whatever it is you're going to do. Visit your mother. I don't know, whatever it is. But if you do that and you set up the parameters of your expectations, then your neuro diverse partner knows what to expect and often is happy to follow along with whatever maybe limitations you might put out there for them. So that that's important. So Bill, I have a question for you. If someone has a partner on the spectrum and they are adverse to reaching out uh, for professional counseling or to get a diagnosis, or possibly maybe they're just denying that that they could possibly be on the spectrum, what advice would you have for, for that couple? How could, how could you help them? Truth can be beautiful or truth can be ugly, but if you love the person that you're with enough, you want to be able to communicate clearly with them. You want to be able to take care of them. You want to be able to do all the things that fulfills their lives. And if that includes getting a diagnosis of who you are, maybe you'll discover you're not on the spectrum, but maybe you'll discover you're on the spectrum. And if you ascertain that you are, we can provide you with the tools and techniques, uh, book recommendations, all kinds of things for you to do better by your wife or husband than you are now. So good advice. So anyway, thanks for listening. If you're interested, Big gives uh, Bill gives big talks 
with his big brain on his two podcasts, The Dash, a podcast about stoicism and business. And for you history fans, he also does a podcast called Chasing Ghosts, an irregular warfare podcast, if either one of those titillate you. Until next time, I'm Lilo Bupert with Touching the Tism, and I'm recommending that you love your apple. Until next time.